All right, Proverbs chapter 3, if you'll join me there as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs together. Last time we went as far as verse 12, so we pick up this evening in verse 13, where here uh, we continue to learn of the great value of wisdom and the importance of wisdom that God wants to impress upon our hearts in this book before we get into the section where really we start to get these short little statements, these little nuggets that are memorable phrases of wisdom. He's trying to emphasize the value and importance that we all have of wisdom and how much we need it in our lives. Verse 13 of chapter 3 tells us, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. So here the writer gives to us this important awareness that if we want to have a happy life, or we might say a blessed life, that would be the opposite of a miserable life. He says the way to go about that is to seek to find the way of wisdom, and that is in contrast to living the natural human way, which is the way of just foolishness, the way of the world, uh, and just according to the ideals and the patterns of this world. Again, Romans tells us that we're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The Bible in Romans speaks as well how there are those who profess uh, to be wise, but they become fools because the Scripture says it's the fool that says in his heart there is no God. And when we reject God and we reject God's way, we live in the way of natural human foolishness, which is the way that much of the world is operating. It's the way that we once operated when we lived according to the patterns of the world and when we lived a part of that system, perhaps before we were called out and started following the Lord. And here he speaks to, I think, something that's at the root of all of our interest is, do you want to have a happy life or do you want to have an unhappy life? Do you want to enjoy life, or do you want to basically live a life where you're just miserable all the time? Well, the writer here says, happy, blessed is the man, the woman, who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. So again, if we're going to look for someone who we perhaps might want to follow after or learn from, the person who has wisdom and understanding is typically going to be a happy person. You know, it's amazing to me how many times... We as human beings will seek counsel from other people and input and guidance from others, whether it's a coworker or a family member or a friend, and we never step back to evaluate, is this person have a kind of happy life or do they seem to be a miserable person who has a miserable existence? And how often we make the mistake, we ask counsel from people who are miserable. We ask counsel from people who are unhappy. And, and we ask them for input instead of taking into consideration, maybe I ought to look for people who actually are happy, people who have a happy marriage and a happy family, and they're not miserable. They basically, certainly their life isn't perfect. We all go through storms and difficulties. None of us are immune to challenges. But to look for people who have a basically happy life because they're living a wise way and to seek to follow their path and to realize the value of that. And so here he just says, you want to be happy? Look for wisdom, find the way of understanding, gain wisdom and understanding, and you'll find it'll lead just generally to a much more happy existence by just living according to God's way and God's wisdom. Going on to speak about wisdom in a sense, kind of personifying wisdom once again is this lady who's 
inviting us into a relationship, to be a companion to our life, to be a helper to our life. He personifies wisdom in the feminine sense here, as he has already before. Once again, he goes back to that idea. Speaking of wisdom, he says, verse 14, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And the idea of more precious than rubies is the idea of how rubies were a very rare gem. A lot of times we may think, well, why not diamonds? Aren't they the most expensive thing? Well, well, rubies were, were, a, were a precious gem, but they were much more rare. They were much more difficult to find. You had to search for them. They weren't as common. And so this is the idea we're going to see of, of at times using the precious metal of a ruby because it's something that's very rare. Because it's rare when people choose to walk in the way of wisdom rather than to walk according to, as he talked about earlier in the chapter, leaning on their own human understanding. And here he's speaking of, again, the value of wisdom. All things, he says, that you may desire cannot compare with her. So of all the things that we desire in this life, all the things that we long for and we seek after, these desires we have that lead us to pursue this, and to chase after that and try and gain this and try and obtain that. And a lot of what that is certainly in our American culture is the mighty dollar. And we find ourselves chasing more gold and more silver and more wealth and more prosperity. And yet the reality is there are those who have amassed great amounts of wealth and gold and silver and all types of, again, material possessions. And yet they live very foolish lives. Right? We, we, we see continuously, whether it's the celebrity or the next you know, great sports athlete and individuals who've had great success maybe in business, and, and actually all the wealth and the resources become their downfall uh, because their character is not able to sustain the, the resources and what they have. And so again, the answer to happiness and the answer to doing well in life is not amassing more wealth. The Bible says it's actually amassing more wisdom. And it's being able to live in a skillful way, because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is just practical, common sense living. It's living life skillfully. It's knowing how to live life well by God's design, by the way that God says is most healthy and beneficial for us with boundaries and using stewardship and forethought and prudence and understanding, understanding how people work and how relationships work, how to treat people properly, how to keep a proper perspective and how we handle matters. And notice he speaks in verse 14 of how the proceeds and the gain, the idea is the profit, the benefits of wisdom, he says, he says, it's better than the profits of silver and gold. In other words, the Bible is saying you are actually more wealthy if you're a wise individual than if you're a rich person. Because the reality is you can exhaust riches, right? You, 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 can, you can spend wealth very, very quickly. You know, we just were watching a documentary not too long ago, and I won't mention the particular basketball player, but a particular individual, very successful as of a very young age and came right out, and I believe it was the first year or something like $3 million they got for just their very first year, and the very first day that they were signed and got the contract, they went out and spent the, pretty much the majority of their entire annual salary 
And in a short period of time, before the year was even gone, though they had been making that kind of money, they were already in debt and had debt collectors chasing after. Again, all kinds of wealth, all kinds of resources, but the wealth and the resources weren't what sustained a healthy, happy, normal experience because there was no wisdom in how to manage those things. And, you know, so many times we put such emphasis on if I just had more gold, if I just had more silver. Well, the reality is you can spend those things. There's places in the Bible where the scripture tells us that wealth has got wings and it just flies away. And it can disappear very quickly if not managed properly with wisdom and understanding. But there is one thing that it's just a resource that in a sense you can't exhaust. You can keep using it and reusing it and using it and reusing it and investing it and reinvesting it. And that's wisdom. Being able to make wise choices. So whether you have a whole lot of resources or a moderate amount of resources or very meager resources, if you live wisely, you're still going to have a much more rich and fulfilling life because you're going to avoid a lot of regrets. You're going to make less mistakes. There's going to be less pain and sorrow because you're going to live well in a way by simply being able to manage what you have in a much better way. So again, he speaks of the value of wisdom, that we would never undersell the benefits of it, he says, better than the proceeds and the gain of silver and gold. So precious is wisdom. Nothing we desire can compare with obtaining more wisdom. He says, verse 16, speaking further of the benefits of wisdom, length of days is in her right hand. And notice, in her left hand, riches and honor. So, By living wisely, the Bible says that generally we will tend to extend our life longer simply because we'll just live a more healthy lifestyle. We'll live more safely. We're not going to become encumbered in things like, you know, abusing substances, which could cause a person to, you know, live a life that's really just self-destructive or that could lead to overdose or making bad decisions, We live wisely. We're going to make better decisions of how we manage our relationships and our health generally, physically, and our resources and how we manage and operate our everyday affairs. And so because of it, we're going to have a more healthy, wholesome, beneficial life. It's going to extend our days rather than cut our days short prematurely because of just self-destructive decisions we can make sometimes as humans when we live foolishly. You know, isn't it interesting that he also adds in here in verse 16 that one of the things that wisdom seeks to offer is not only a more honorable way of living, but he says in her left hand are riches. So again, we can chase after gold and silver or we can live wisely. And he says, by living wisely, you'll find that that will enrich your life in many different ways. It will enrich your life, not just monetarily, but in many other ways as well. It's one of the payoffs of living a wise way. He goes on to say, verse 17, regarding the ways of wisdom, he says, verse 17, her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. And she is a tree of life, the idea is giving life to those who take hold of her, who embrace wisdom, and he says, and happy are all who retain her, that is, they continue to hold on to wisdom in the way that they operate. So again, we see some more wonderful benefits of wisdom. Verse 17, he says, to live according to the ways of wisdom, her ways will be the ways of pleasantness. Who would not like to have a little bit more of a pleasant life? Who doesn't want a pleasant life, a pleasant existence? 
The opposite there is of a miserable existence, an unhappy existence. And God's saying there is a way that your life can be characterized by pleasantness. And, and, and certainly your life's going to have challenges. My life's going to have difficulties, problems, and hardships. That, that's a part of life. But the general characterizing mark of your life, you can say, man, I got a, a really pleasant life. I got a pleasant marriage. I got a pleasant family. I just, my, my life's kind of pleasant. It's enjoyable. I, I, don't, I don't get up despising life and despising my circumstances and hating my situation. Why? Because I'm just living wisely. And by living wisely, he says, you'll, you'll reap the benefits of actually having a pleasant life. And not just a pleasant life, but he says, the ways of wisdom aren't just pleasantness, but all her paths lead to peace. Ah, a little more peace in my life, a little less agita and heartache and, and frustration and regrets and misery, just again, peace in relationships with people and just peace of mind, peace and quiet to just live wisely and to just have a life of quietness and peace, a life that's pleasant and a life that's peaceful. Boy, that's more than enough there to sell me on wanting to live wisely to have a little more pleasantness and a little more peace in my existence. Verse 19, to impress upon us the importance and the value of wisdom, he shows us this. Look what he says, verse 19 and 20. The Lord, Yahweh God himself, by wisdom, that is by utilizing wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. We're talking about creation here. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. That is the, 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 the hydraulic cycle of precipitation and evaporation and all those things. And, and then, you know, all the process again and again. And he says the way God created the earth, the way he founded it, the way it operates, the way it all functions. Notice he's telling us here that God himself chose to build creation with wisdom. In other words, God built everything we see in creation, the heavens, the earth, all the cycles that exist in nature and so forth. He says God used wisdom to build with. Now, to me, that's a great reminder. If God saw it important to use wisdom to build everything that exists in creation, why would we not say anything I build, I want to build wisely? I want to build with wisdom. I want to build a good foundation, a solid foundation. So therefore, I'm not going to be haphazard. I'm not going to be impulsive. I'm not going to be foolish and, and just kind of shoot from... No, I want to build wisely. Whatever I'm working on, whatever I'm establishing, whatever I'm creating and setting in order, I want to use wisdom to build that because that's going to be that good, solid foundation and that which is going to make it operate in the most efficient way. God himself used wisdom to build. Certainly, we should be encouraged to do the same. He says, verse 21, again, back to sort of this parental conversation. Again, we keep bringing this up because it's a major emphasis in the book of Proverbs. It's a major emphasis of the Holy Spirit, this idea of the older generation speaking wisdom into the lives of the younger generation. That's, from God's perspective, a wise pattern. And it's a pattern that because we neglect at times, we're raising up foolish younger generations. And to some degree, we can be so frustrated with the younger generations, 
But I think we have to be careful that we don't not take part of the responsibility. Maybe it's because to some degree that as the older generations, we haven't been perhaps as intentional of speaking wisdom into the lives of the younger generation. And now we find ourselves in many ways sometimes always trying to repair people and maybe we would do a little better job if we would have prepared people on the front end. And the better we do that, the less we raise up those who have foolish ideas and live in foolish ways. And the book of Proverbs is you know, just so repetitious with this, my son, my son, my son, listen to me, hear my words. Again, kind of this parental figure, my son Solomon here speaking, my son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Again, sound wisdom, discretion. He says, don't let these things depart from your eyes, son. The idea there, departing from his eyes, would be don't lose these in your perspective. Keep a wise perspective. Keep a viewpoint on life and a perspective that incorporates using wisdom and discretion in your decision-making. Don't let go of these things. Keep a wise perspective, he's saying, when you deal with your matters of life. So they will be to your soul, life to your soul, and grace to your neck. The picture there is like the ornamental necklace of the bride, the, the, the gracious necklace that would be worn. And he says that this will beautify your life as you keep a wise perspective and use discretion. You'll bring beauty into your life. And then you will also, verse 23, walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. So notice, wisdom contributes to walking in life in a safe manner. The idea is we protect ourselves from dangerous things. We keep ourselves from harming ourselves and harming others. The safest way to live is to live wisely. And there are a lot of slippery slopes. There are a lot of things we can do to endanger ourselves to harm ourselves, to, to hurt other people. And he says, do you want to stay safe? Just live wisely. You live wisely, you're going to keep yourself safe. Again, it's going to keep you from drug addiction. It's going to keep you from sexually transmitted diseases. It's going to keep you from pain and regrets. It's going to keep you from poor financial management and, and debt and heart. It's going to keep you safe by just living wisely. Oh, why should I live wisely? It'll keep you safe. That sounds like a good idea, right? It'll keep me safe. Or I'm, I'm on board with that. I want to live safely in my ways. And he says it will also keep you from your foot stumbling. So it'll keep you from tripping up unnecessarily. It'll keep you from stumbling and making mistakes. The idea is it'll protect you from mistakes. It'll stop you from falling and having regrets and harming yourself. He says in verse 24, and when you lie down, you won't be afraid. The idea is it'll, it'll give you a good night's sleep. It'll allow you to get good rest because you won't always be panicking or concerned. You'll have a sense of peace of mind. Hey, I know the way I'm living is wise, so I'm, I, I'm safe, and, I, and I'm not stumbling around, making mistakes. I'm living kind of a stable, consistent path, and that's the idea here. Wisdom contributes to a stable life, and when you have a somewhat stable life, when you lie down, you won't be afraid. You won't be dealing with panic attacks and paranoia and anxiety unnecessarily because you'll have a degree of safety and stability. Hey, I'm living in a stable way. I'm, everything's not falling apart around me all the time because I've, I've charted a safe and a stable course by living a wise way. Again, these are all encouragements to 
prompt us to want to live wisely. The benefits, the value, that's why it's so much better, he said, than even silver and gold. It'll give you a good night's rest. When you lie down, he says, your sleep will be sweet. You'll have sweet dreams. You won't be having panic attacks and nightmares of, oh no, what's going to happen tomorrow because I've lived foolishly. And this is, again, what God loves us. He's trying to spare us. He wants us to have peaceful sleep and rest. Do not be afraid, he says, when sudden terror, nor trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. So again, when we live wisely, we can trust that we don't have to be concerned despite what people are doing around us in the world, what's going on and, and what evil's taking place. Says, Look, when sudden terror comes, we don't have to be afraid and terrified because we can know, hey, I'm doing things God's way and God's going to honor that. So I don't have to live in constant concern and worry about, oh no, what if this happens and what if the wicked bring that to pass? Look, the wicked are going to do what the wicked are going to do. But if we're doing things God's way, there's a stability in that and there's a safety in that and we can be in the world but not become of the world. And so though the world may be doing all of its crazy things and men and their wickedness may be propagating this and causing that and making this happen, we can still live somewhat of a peaceful, quiet, harmonious life and know that, hey, my confidence is in the Lord. I'm doing things God's way People are going to do what they're going to do. You do you. I'm doing me, and I'm doing God's way, and I'm going to do things wisely and enjoy the safety and stability and peace and pleasantness and happiness rather than being caught up with everyone else who's terrified about this and, oh, no, that's happening now. And again, it just seems to be the thing that the devil is just kind of always trying to spread. It's a pandemic of fear. And always making people terrified. Oh, now this is happening. Now the sky is falling. Now this is happening. And, and again, that's just the, the chronic cycle the devil wants to keep people in the world living in because they have no confidence because they're not living according to God's wise way. They're just foolishly grabbing at this and chasing after that with no sense of structure and stability in their lives. He then gives some very practical advice going on in verse 27. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. The idea here is that we're to give what is owed to others, especially when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, oh, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. The idea is don't delay to give that good thing that you should that is owed to someone else and delay and say, look, I, come back tomorrow. I'll take care of that later. And the idea here is putting off doing that which you know is right, particularly as it applies to, he says, giving to those to whom it is due. Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due. Now, you might apply that in a number of ways for those who were, for example, landowners and had workers out in their field. And if they had the ability to compensate their workers, it was not right for them to withhold compensation, proper pay, and even a proper pay scale to those to whom it was due and say, well, I don't have it with me today, and for their own selfish purposes, or whatever, I just, I'll pay you tomorrow, and to not give proper wages and not give proper payment. The same thing would apply as well if you had a debt that you owed. If you had some obligation financially, you purchased something, you created some arrangement where you genuinely owed someone else financial remuneration, 
because of some arrangement, he's saying here, look, wisdom says if you have within your power to take care of what you owe and pay someone, then that's the good thing you should do, not come up with some selfish excuse why you're going to delay giving them what you already have the power to give them now. Oh, I'll pay that tomorrow. I'll pay Visa next month. No, you'll pay Visa double next month. That's kind of usually how it works. So he says, look, when you have the power to pay your debts or to give to someone what is due in a moral obligation, wisdom says it is both good and right to settle the debt now, to give you what I owe you now, and not to find excuses and selfish reasons why, well, I'll take care of that tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing this thing over here. When God is saying, no, if, if you owe something to someone, the good and the wise thing is, is take care of that first. If you have the power to take care of it and the resources available to do it, God's saying, that's the wise thing to do. Get yourself out from under that. We're going to read later on in the book of Proverbs, numerous Proverbs about financial management. One of them is going to say that the borrower is servant to the lender. That is, when we are in a place where we have borrowed in some way, whatever form it may be, and we owe someone else, that basically we are enslaved. God says we are enslaved. The borrower is servant to the lender. If someone has lent us resources, basically they have power and control over us. So God's saying, here's the wise thing. When you have the power, don't withhold good to whom it's due. Don't put off and don't delay. God says, just deal with it. Get it reconciled. Get out from under that. It's the right thing to, to give them what's owed to them. That's the moral and correct thing. Don't delay that. And he says that would be a wise thing to do. Now, I think another way that we can apply certainly verse 27 and 28 as well is just at times when we know that God's telling us to do some good thing. Maybe it's to talk to someone. Maybe, it, it, maybe it's, it's to share the gospel and God prompts our heart, look, it would be a good thing for you to try and talk to this person about Jesus right now, to share the gospel with them. And you have the power and the opportunity in that moment. And yet sometimes right for reason, we justify and we delay. I just, I'm not right now, not right now. And we put it off. And God's saying, don't put off doing some good thing if you have the power and opportunity to do it right now. And sometimes God gives us occasions where we can step into something. Maybe there's something good that we can do to help someone out. Maybe a need arises, and we become aware of the need. And we realize, you know what, I have the power to help out in that situation. There's something I can do that's good or helpful. And yet sometimes then we, we say, well, maybe not this time. I'll let somebody else take care of that next time. And we withhold good when we have the power to take care of it and do it in that situation. And God says, don't do that. Don't withhold good from those to whom it's due. He says, when you have the power in that moment to help, don't say, oh, I'll delay and do it later when you have it with you and you could do it in that moment. Just a great wise advice and way of us living and operating with people. He says, verse 29, and don't devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Now, understand, in that day, particularly in the ancient culture, your neighbor was the greatest support system that you had. In that day, neighbors helped each other out for sake of survival. I mean, we didn't have what we have now where there's you know, news and media and you can find out what's happening all over the world. To some degree, I think it was a much better world because you know, if at most you knew about your farmer's 
you know, friend, uh, uh, one or two properties down, their barn burnt down, and so, hey, let's all go over and help the neighbor, and that, that was all you heard about. You didn't hear about, and I think this is why as human beings, we're so stressed half the time with, you know, modern media, is because I don't think we were intended to know as much as we know. And so we know what's happening everywhere in the world. God can handle that, right? Because <laughs> he's God. But as human beings now, we know every hardship, difficulty, problem is happening all over the world, and we're like on overload because we're, oh my goodness, this and that, and, and, and we're all worked up all the time. And in that day, it was much more simple. You had a neighbor, and your neighbor was your safety and your support system. They looked after your property. Your cow walked away. They brought your cow back to you. And so he says, look, get along with your neighbors. They're there for your support and your survival sake. They're there to help you. They dwell by you for your safety's sake. The idea is they were a support system for your survival. So try to get along with them. And look, for you and I, I think that the neighbors are the people that God brings into our life, God puts around us, your neighbors who dwells next to you. And you know what, even among the body of Christ, there are people, different people that God puts around us and we're connected to, and they're there for our safety's sake. So, so don't despise the value of the friendships and the relationships God gives to you in the body of Christ. God put those people in your life and my life for our safety's sake, to protect us from the evil one, to keep us accountable. And God's put them among our life so that we can get along with them and work together and dwell in partnership for our own safety, to keep our lives protected from things that could harm us from time to time. And he says, verse 30, in connection to that and keeping good relationships, and don't strive with a man without a cause if he has done you no harm. In other words, don't be a troublemaker. Don't be someone who strives with people. And you know, sadly, and again, the Bible's indicating it's a mark of not wisdom. It's a mark of foolishness to be someone who's just contentious, who, who for no But there are some people that are looking to instigate and pick a fight and start an argument and get a debate going for no reason at all. It's almost like they find a sport out of it. And the Bible's saying here, look, if somebody has not done anything wrong to you, they haven't harmed you, don't strive with people. Don't get into striving arguments and conversations over petty issues and foolish things just because you find some thrill on proving somebody wrong, or you have some you know, enjoyment in being contentious, and, and tragically, that is a mark of foolishness, that people just like to pick at things and, and argue, and, and they just tend to be individuals who, instead of being problem solvers, they're always problem starters. And, he, and he's saying, look, that's foolish. Don't live like that. We need relationships. We need to have connections with people. Instead, we should try to be wisely keeping harmony in our relationships instead. Verse 31, he says, and don't envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. The oppressor are those who take advantage of people and abuse them. And he says, don't, don't, don't partake of those things. Those are foolish ways to treat people. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. They put themselves in a place where they're greatly displeasing God. But God's secret counsel is with the upright. This reminds us much of Proverbs 25, or excuse me, Psalm 25. Where there in Psalm 25, it says that the, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And the idea is that as we fear the Lord and walk in close relationship with the Lord, there are times where he shares things with us and he speaks to us and he communicates things to us. And the benefit of living in close relationship with the Lord is you hear the Lord's voice. 
You hear things. He whispers things into your ear because you're living in an upright way and you are able to hear his voice. Verse 33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. So do you want to bring a curse upon your house or do you want to bring a blessing upon your household? Well, the Bible says right here, generally speaking, those who live wicked, the house of the wicked, that is those who are rebelling against God, who don't honor God in their household, who are living in wicked ways, tolerating sin, he says what they do is they, in essence, they bring a curse upon themselves. They curse their own lives. But in contrast, he says, the home of the just, that is the one who wants to do what's right. Hey, and as me and my household we're going to serve the Lord. And he says, when you have that attitude, my home is going to be just, that is, we're going to live right before the Lord. He says, you're going to incur God's blessing on your home. Who doesn't want God's blessing on their home life? Rather than having a cursed experience to have the blessing of God upon your home life. Verse 34, surely he scorns the scornful. The idea is he, with pride, opposes the arrogant, the idea, but... He gives grace to the humble. Now, 1 Peter and the book of James pick up on this very verse as well, saying the same thing, that God opposes or resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we can have God working opposition to us. If our heart is arrogant and we're proud in our attitude or the way that we're operating, God not only won't bless and will withhold, but God actually works in opposition to us, the Bible says. He resists us to break our stubborn pride. The wonderful thing is the Bible says as well, but when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we become recipients of his grace. So if we keep a humble attitude before the Lord and we're continually to humble ourselves, we are going to be recipients of grace. That is how God's grace is channeled into our lives, his favor and his help. God gives grace to the humble. And the wise shall inherit glory but shame shall be the legacy of fools. It's almost as if he summarizes what he's been saying in these prior verses here. Do you want to inherit glory and favor and good things? Be wise. He says, do you want to instead have a life of shame? He says, that's the legacy of fools. And you know, you can read verse 35, I can as well, and look among society. Is that not true? Look at people who've lived foolishly. What is their legacy? Shame, shame, regret, dishonor, because they perpetually, continuously kept living foolishly, and they bring shame and regret into their lives. Look at people who just chose to say, you know what, God's way is right, and I'm going to live wisely the way God says, and, and look how they inherit wonderful, glorious blessings into their life, and how God pours his grace and favor, and they end up inheriting glorious things as God honors their wise way of living. Chapter 4, he says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. Again, notice the parental language again. The instruction of a father almost implies that's what we're supposed to be doing as fathers. Fathers are supposed to be supplying instruction. That's the role of a father, not just to make money. The role of a father is instruction guidance, training, taking serious the important role of giving instruction to the children and to give attention to no understanding. He says, verse 2, for I give you good 
doctrine. The word doctrine is teaching. I give you good teaching. So do not forsake my law. What's a law? A governing boundary. He says, listen, I'm giving you good teaching and I'm putting up good boundaries. Embrace those things. Respect those things. He's saying, my children, they're for your benefit. It's only for your good. He then says, verse 3, when I was my father's son, so Solomon now speaking of David's role in his life, when I was my father's son, when I was a child, he says, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me. And he said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. So notice what Solomon is emphasizing here is, look, and it's almost as if he's saying to his own children who he's saying, pay attention to my instruction, receive my commands, let my governing laws and boundaries help you and protect you as a father. He's saying, look, I don't have an authority trip as a dad. I'm just doing what I learned from my dad. He's saying, when I was young, this is the good pattern I learned. My father did the same for me. He instructed me. He gave me boundaries. He guided me. And he says, I realize, you know what? That pattern served me well. That served me well. I became the man that I am because of the good influential role of my father. And he says, I'm just trying to keep the pattern going here. I'm just trying to keep the good cycle continuing here. You know, what a wonderful thing to think about that reality in a positive sense. Because is it not true? How many times do we sadly see unhealthy, bad cycles in families? Right? We've all seen that. Some of us have been a part of that. Where a cycle in one generation, it passes on to the next generation. And the same painful, unhealthy habits and lifestyles and, and, and bad cycles. Look, the wonderful thing is the same works in the other way. You can establish a good pattern and a good cycle. And then where one generation passes on those same good, healthy patterns and cycles and ways of living wisely and following and serving the Lord and blessing and benefit, and that cycle continues from generation to generation to generation. And then one father does a good job with his children, and then those children rise up and say, you know what? I want to do a good job with my children. And I'm going to do that now in my generation with my children, with my offspring. And, you know, I look at this and I'm, you know, getting close here to becoming a grandfather within the next few weeks. I have two daughters due within a short window of time now. And I look at that and I think to myself, what a really neat thing to realize that as a father, you can not only invest in your own children, but if you do a really good job and you inspire your children, in a sense, then you're influencing your grandchildren. Because they would say, hey, I learned this from my father, and I'm implementing the same thing now. And what a wonderful thing. Again, the ripple effect of good parenting and taking serious our role in this way and how we can affect generation after generation. He also taught me. He told me, retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom, he says, verse 5. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. He says, verse 6, regarding wisdom again, do not forsake her and she will preserve you. So again, the way of wisdom is a way that will preserve us from things that aren't good. It protects us. Love her, value wisdom greatly, and she will keep you. Verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Notice verse 7. I have an underline because to me it's a real valuable thing to remember. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. It's the principal thing. The idea is it's the top priority. 
It's the matter of most importance. It is the most important thing. That's what the principal thing is. So he says the most important thing, the highest priority, get wisdom. Now, let's look at our current culture. That's not the message. The message of our current culture, and I'm not belittling the value of education, the message of our current culture is get educated. No matter how much it costs you, no matter how much debt you need to incur, get educated, get educated, enrich the institutions. And people are getting educated, and we have many educated fools. We have people that are highly educated who make many foolish life decisions and don't live well and live properly because they're incredibly smart, but they live very foolishly. And they bring pain and heartache and regret and shame and misery into their lives, whether they have lots of wealth or great careers or whatever. And it's not that we can't have both. But God says, the principal thing, get wisdom. Get wisdom. In all you're getting, your chief, most important pursuit, get wise. Learn how to live wisely. If you want to add on to that education and everything, nothing wrong with that. Again, I'm not diminishing the value of that. But we want to have at the basis of who we are that we have wisdom. We know how to live well. And, and if we would all see the principal thing is getting wisdom, we would see, I am certain, way more stable people and stable marriages and stable families and healthy societies if people would put more emphasis that the principal thing is we need to learn how to become wise and to live wisely rather than live foolishly. So again, wisdom, that's the principal thing God says. And again, he's the one who created us. He knows how everything works best. So in your pursuits, realize what the principal thing is and what really is the secondary thing. The principal thing is in all you're getting, get wisdom. He says, exalt her and she will promote you. The idea is, what's promotion? Move you forward. You want to move forward in life? He says, wisdom is what, if you exalt wisdom, that's what will promote you and move you forward in life. She will bring you honor when you embrace her, when you embrace wisdom. She will place on your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. Again, he comes back to this idea because you live wisely and live well, life won't be cut short. You'll extend your days in a healthy way of living. He says, verse 11, to his son, Solomon says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in right paths. Now notice there both instruction and example. Do you see that in verse 11? Solomon says to his son, I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I've also led you in right paths. See, it's not enough just to instruct. We also have to show how to live by living the right way ourselves. Because if somebody lives the wrong way, but then they want to instruct about the right way, it just sends confusion. Nothing breaks my heart more than to talk to young people, and particularly to young Christians whose parents have instructed them verbally in right ways, but then their parents live in wrong ways, and they don't lead them properly. They don't show by example that they actually walk out the very things that they're instructing, and it creates tremendous confusion and hypocrisy. 
And we need to do both. We need to instruct in the ways of wisdom, but we also have to model it. We have to live that way. He says, I've also led you in right paths. Follow me. Watch. I've taught you how to live wisely, but watch how I live. I'm going to show you how to live wisely. And often, many times, much more is caught than it taught anyway. And things are caught by watching and observing the example, which speaks many times much more powerfully by leading someone into right paths. He says, and when you walk, notice your steps will not be hindered. That is, if you walk in the ways of wisdom, you'll keep hindrances from your life. That sounds like a good thing, right? When you run, you won't stumble. You'll find that you're tripping up less in life. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let it go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Now, the Hebrew there literally is really kind of conveyed in the, in the reverse order. It literally is the path of wickedness. Don't enter into that. The path of wickedness, you see it? He's, stay away from it, he's going to say. When you see a wicked path, don't enter in. Don't walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. It's almost as if he's trying to get the point across there. Oh, there's all this wicked stuff and all these wicked people, and there's all these wicked paths. And Solomon just says to his son, okay, let me give you some wise advice. Just don't go that way. Oh, it's just, just avoid those things. Yes, they exist. The paths and the avenues of wickedness exist, and foolish people like a bunch of people, like just a big flock or a herd, they just, one person goes off and they just go out. And he says, don't do that. Just go a different way. He says, when you see a wicked way, when you see a way of evil, I love the two words of verse 15, avoid it. Just stay away from it. Just steer clear of it. Don't participate, he says. Why is that important? Because we have a free will, right? God's given us the capacity to choose. We just have to have the wisdom to know how to choose and the wisdom to realize that my primary job is to have courage to do what's right, not to be a people pleaser. The Bible's going to say later on in the book of Proverbs, the fear of man is a snare. It's the way to be ensnared, that we fear what people think of us all the time. But he who trusts the Lord is safe. So he says, you see the way of wickedness, the path of evil? Just avoid it. Turn away. For they do not sleep, he says, verse 16. That is, those who are on the way of evil, they don't sleep unless they've done evil. And their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. The idea is aggressive pursuits of evil. Sad that people can become that aggressive in pursuing evil. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. In other words, they are intoxicated with doing wrong things. They literally are addicted to doing wicked things. It's what satisfies them like bread to nourish them. They have to behave wickedly. Verse 18, he gives us a contrast, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So again, we have the option, verse 18 and 19, the path of the just doing what's right. Or he says, there's also the way of the wicked. One leads to brightness and to light and having clarity and being able to see where you're going and make good decisions. The other, he says, is a path towards greater and greater darkness, where you find yourself going into darker and darker things. And boy, that is true. The way of the wicked, the way of the foolish, it's amazing how people, when they go that way, they get into darker and darker and darker things. 
and life just becomes darker and darker and darker as they gravitate further from the way of God. But he says, walk in the path of the just, the right way, and God will give light to you instead. Verse 20, he again says, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So again, this idea, my son, listen, hang on to what I'm telling you. He said, it'll keep you healthy. Keep your eyes on these things. Hold these things close to your heart. I love verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, we all sometimes have maybe our life verses. I certainly would say that I have two. One's in the New Testament, one's in the Old Testament. My New Testament life verse is Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. My Old Testament life verse is right there, verse 23 of Proverbs 4. That very, very wonderful principle there. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, Flow forth, spring forward all the issues of life. Notice the heart is the epicenter. It's the center of who we are. It's the source of our desires and our motives. It's really at the end of the day where all of our decisions end up originating from and why we do what we do or why we don't do what we don't do. It's the driving thing within us. In the same way your physical heart is essential to your health, and if you have heart problems and heart conditions, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart morally as well. That's always the heart of the matter, is, is the condition and the matter of our heart. And so because of that, the Bible speaks of how essential our heart condition is, and he says, therefore, you and I have to keep our heart with all diligence, to keep it, to tend it, to take care of it, to monitor it, to take heed to it, to pay attention to its condition, Notice, with diligence, the idea is i got to work at it. Why? Because Jeremiah 17 says, what of my heart? Oh, follow your heart, Tony. That's, that, that's how all the beautiful songs go. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Oh, I, f I feel like my heart's telling me to. Right? And, and we, we romanticize the human heart and feelings and emotions. Listen, God who loves us says to us, Jeremiah 17, Tony, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you can't even know your own heart. It's so deceitful and desperately wicked. So nowhere will you find in the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom, and nowhere will you find in the Bible where it tells you to follow your heart as a human being. The Bible tells us instead, diligently keep after your own heart, maintain it, monitor it, weed it, address it, challenge it, subdue it, conquer it, He's going to say in the book of Proverbs later on, guide your heart, not follow your heart. He's going to say later on in Proverbs, guide your heart in the right way. Our heart is deceitful above all things. Our heart misguides us. We have feelings and desires and things that originate in our hearts that are completely off track. Mine does anyway. Maybe you got a good heart. I, I wasn't born with one. I was born with a heart like Adam. Dead, sinful, defiled, 
And our hearts deceive us, our feelings lie, and, and, and we have to be so careful and understand that reality so that we're always keeping our heart and we're being diligent about it. The idea is you and I cannot just become lazy and apathetic about our heart condition. I have to realize I got to keep after my heart. That's why I got to be spending time with God every day. It's why I've got to have some of the word of God going into my dark and depraved heart every single day. So like Psalm 119 says, the entrance of your word gives light. How does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And, and it is the word of God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And we have to be diligent and know, man, if I don't keep track of my heart, I'm going to go off track. And the reason that is so important to diligently in stewardship take care of our heart condition and always be remembering to do that as he says, because out of the heart spring, look, the issues of life. Some translations say, is the wellspring of life. And the idea is very simply this. If a fountain is polluted, then all the streams from that fountain are going to be polluted too. And our heart's like the fountain of who we are. And depending upon the condition of our heart, every issue of our life, like streams, it's like from our heart go off all the different streams and tributaries of everything who we are in our personality, our character, our decisions, the issues of our, of our marriage, of our family life, of our financial management, of just everything, all these different streams. And, and if the heart is in a good condition, then all the issues of my life are going to be directed by God's spirit and God's wisdom, and it's going to be healthy, like clean, fresh water coming from a healthy fountain. If my heart is polluted, every issue and area of my life is going to get polluted. So to me, this is the thing. Lord, I can't keep track of all the issues in life. Lord, I got married. Then you gave me three daughters. I lived with four women. That's a lot of issues. I can't keep track of all those issues. I can keep my heart diligently. And if I keep my heart diligently, that's going to affect all the issues in my life, and I'll deal with all the issues in a godly way, in a God-honoring way with God's wisdom and doing things God's way. If I do the opposite and I let my old sinful, decrepit, evil heart take over control, everything is going to get polluted, every area. So again, what wonderful value and wisdom. I'll conclude the chapter because I could preach a whole sermon on that out of control. But just I, this is a wonderful verse, great verse, committed to memory. It's one of those ones that's good to keep in your heart. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, that's important, and perverse lips far from you. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So isn't it interesting as he talks about keeping our heart diligently, he says, and deal with the language, put away those things that are perverse and unhealthy to be saying let your eyes look straight ahead. That's always a good thing to do. And your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. And don't turn to the right hand, God says, or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Isn't it interesting as God gives wisdom to us, God says, here's my wisdom. Just get your eyes straight ahead. Get your eyes on the Lord. Don't look to the right. What are they doing on the right? Oh, I don't know. I just hate what everybody's doing on the left. All these liberals, people over there on the left. I like people on the right. God said, stop looking at the right and stop looking at the left. 
Look straight ahead. The Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, not on a political group. Not, look, nobody's saving this chaotic planet until Jesus comes back and rules and reigns. The wisest thing that we can do is just get our eyes on the Lord. Don't get pulled over here. Don't get pulled over there. This group over here, oh, no, you should do this. Oh, no, you shouldn't do that. I'm just going to follow God. And, and to just ponder the path of our feet, walk straight and stay on God's course. The wisest thing you can do is just keep following Jesus. People are going to turn to the right. They're going to turn to the left. They're going to pull you to the right. They're going to try and pull you to the left. Don't do it. You just keep walking in the will of the Lord for your life. That's the wisest and the safest thing that you can do. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray.